Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us here on RaisingVibrationRadio.com. Empowered by Intuitox, you are here with Reverend Raven, and tonight our special guest is going to be none other than the infamous, the international sensation, John Norseman. He's an author, an, an orator, and he heals people, too. So I'm so looking forward to having you guys um, witness this miracle that we're going to have here tonight. It's going to be beautiful and inf- um, information, and we got so much to share with you. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to John Norseman. Hello, John. Hello, Reverend Raven. How are you this evening? Very fit and all raring to go. Looking forward to it. And it's very late where you are. Yes, it's just gone half past one in the morning, but I am a night owl, so I'm in pretty good shape, all things considered. I got you. So you like to party like a rock star. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, John, tell a little bit about yourself. You know, I know you're an author, but let's go, let's just talk a little bit about you and what you're doing these days. Okay, well, uh, these days I'm um, talking a lot about the book and the messages in the book uh, that I was guided by spirit to write it, to tell my life story, to help others, because I've had a long life. And uh, it's just the true story of a life from which people could pick their own messages from it that might help them in overcoming so many of the obstacles that I did in my life. And it takes a long time. One makes a lot of mistakes. But all the messages are there. And these days, what I'm doing is talking about these messages. And I am a practicing shaman, uh, a spiritual healer, a teacher and uh, guiding people and helping them and doing healing as well. But the main thing is to spread the messages in a more general way through programs like yours to help people because all their answers come from within them. And this is the key. People can't do it for you. But there's nothing pious or preaching about the book. It's a very earthy story because it's true. And there are so many messages. One of the most important is learning to say no and mean it, uh, to learn to forgive, and that there's nothing you cannot achieve if you clear the blocks in your own mind and then have the determination to follow through. But that, in a summary, is what it's about. Right. Well, John, I love the way you gave everybody char- your characters nicknames in your book. Oh, yes. I-, I love what you called your grandmother. Yes, I called her Pussy Panda or PP. Yes. And that was when I was a little boy. When I was very fond of people, I would give them the nickname of an animal that I liked. And one evening she was wearing a beautiful fur stole around her. Uh, shoulders and it was black and white and I looked up at her and said you just look like a beautiful pussy panda and the name stuck I I, I love that and you called your grandfather squirrel that's it (laughs) because I love squirrels my mother used to take me to a park 
and there were red squirrels then. And I just loved their long tails and how they jumped from tree to tree. And they made me feel happy. And my, my grandfather was great. He was a very positive influence and mentor to me throughout my life until he passed on. I, and I, I did love that, I, that loving and nurturing. What amazes me is that you recall your childhood from from birth to age four in your book. And how, I mean, how were you able to do that? Because I can't remember in my mind what was going to me at a year old or uh, even four years old. Yes, well, uh, fortunately, because of the war, uh, World War Two was on. And my father was overseas in the army and my mother lived with her parents, my grandparents, P.P. and Squirrel. And she was able to devote so much time to me. So I was able to read and write before the age of five. And uh, that meant I was an observer of, of what was going on. There was so much going on. Uh, and it was uh, living in London, which was being bombed every night. Of course, there was a lot of, of danger and high adrenaline and so many changes going on. So it, it meant I was a very active observer and I remembered so much. So much was traumatic. But it was a very telling time. And my generation, and that is part of it, we're all... Uh, people who are the subject of what is going on around us, what is happening in our generation. And so I was a war baby. I was born on the 1st of January 1941. And that had an effect on my generation. So were you, you were born on January 1st? I, said, I know it said 1941 January, but was it the first day of January? First day of January, yes. Wow, look at you. You had like that, you know, one, one vibration going on there. And then, um, and two, you had, you know, the 15, so 17, eight vibration, which makes sense for you because your life was about manifestation. Exactly. That's my job. My destiny was to be a manifester. And, and you did it too. You did an amazing job. I, I love, in fact, I have a picture of um, the boat that you purchased with Carly. Uh, this is similar to what, I don't know if you can see online. Yes, I can see it myself. And that is an identical, it is, was an ocean-going uh, motor yacht. And I completely changed my life at quite a late age having been initially in corporate life until I met Carly when I was 51. And then we built a business together. And then one day we were channeled to sell everything, sell our home, sell the business. And that took a two-year period. These things never happened too quickly. There's so much to do. And we put the proceeds into buying that beautiful ocean-going motor yacht because we've been channeled to just take off. And we ended up crossing the Atlantic Ocean after spending 
two years going around the Mediterranean and then crossed the Atlantic to the United States of America to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, people said, you're crazy at, at your age. At uh, 2007, so I was uh, 66, we set sail. And that was after using two years to get fully trained. I'd always loved boating as a hobby. I loved the sea. I relate to the sea. And I'm very much a sea creature. And now I live by the sea. I need to be near water. That's right. You live in Cornwall. Yes, the beautiful county of Cornwall. Or is it, it, it is beautiful. It is beautiful country where you live. Yes, it has a long history that it goes back. It was always rather cut off from the United Kingdom as a whole because of the geography right at the southwestern corner. And it's got a long history of trading tin with the Phoenicians from way back. A lot of Spanish people settled here uh, in the era of Queen Elizabeth I when the Spanish Armada tried to invade England, but they they failed. They lost the naval battle. And uh, many ships of their ships were wrecked trying to escape going past Cornwall. And the people, the survivors settled here. And so many of the names of the towns have Spanish names. St. Albans and uh, St. Just, so many saints. And so many of the people have are quite swarthy and have dark hair and dark eyes. And they, they jokingly refer to themselves as the Celtic state of Cornwall. Uh, <laughs> very independent. And why, why did you guys choose Cornwall to go? Because I mean, you've been in Miami, right? And you've been in London and all those towns of, you know, in that part of England. And then you choose what, what you were channeled to go there. Very much so. It's a very spiritual place. It's a place where people are still rooted in the old ways of, of the planet. And they're not particularly materialistic. And the only real industries are fishing and tourism. So they're very much sea people, fishing people. And, of course, because it's so beautiful, tourists come here in the summer. But it's very much a place for tranquility, meditation. And having had a very active life, I was born and bred in London and lived in cities and worked in cities in many countries in the world. And it's where I was guided to be, and it works. It's a place to be able to do what... I'm now meant to do. Which is healings. I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear that. So what you're guided to do now is healings. Uh, Yes, uh, but also uh, healing when people are put in my path. So I don't don't charge uh, for healing. It's when people are put in my path, it's because there's someone that needs it, someone who is being blocked by things that were put on them and put on them not just in this life but in past lives. So much healing involves clearing a past life trauma that's been carried forward to this life. And some now, of the 
Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but how how do you feel what's been brought upon people when you are do you have to physically see them? Do you sense it uh, when you're talking to them through the vibration of their voice? What is it for you that you know that they have some type of blockage? It can be all in any of those points that you raised. Uh, very often, there's a way they're put in our path. For example, uh, when the book was launched, I spent six months in North America, uh, mainly in the USA, but also in Canada, on a book tour, um, doing book signing and talks and so on. And so many people were put in my way. Uh, they just appeared. And because I believe there's no such thing as coincidence. And then we'd get talking. People would be drawn. Uh, and it was very invigorating for me, very inspirational for me, that so many of them were young people. And by young, I mean in the age group 18 to 35. And one hears so much bad publicity about young people, but there are so many wonderful young people out there. And they're crying out for leadership. They're crying out for guidance. They want to work to live, not live to work. And it's a very material world, and they've been brought up in it. And I think it's wonderful that they are looking for something more. And then I help them find the answers within themselves. I'm a great believer. I never, even though I can see in the sense or sense or, or know what people are about, it's very important not to interfere. We're born with personal choice. We all have a destiny, but we have many choices how we achieve it on our journeys through life. And if someone asks me a question, I know they're ready to hear the answer, so I give it to them. And they have to, and if they ask for help or, or a friend asks me to help a, a friend of theirs, then it proceeds. It can sometimes people get in touch through um, through email or after I've given a, a talk on a radio station like yours asking for help. And I will always reply and always very often help. In other words, I don't have to see people face to face. I can talk to them on the phone. I can just pick up on their energies. So a lot of help is given in that way. So it's very flexible. And things are meant to be. And the people who are helped when they're put in my way are generally light workers. People who have a high vibration or a potentially high vibration who've been blocked in some way. They know they're blocked they're seeking the answers from within themselves. They go to talks. They read books. But they are stuck. And it's removing those blocks. And part of the things covered in my book is my journey where I had many blocks. Uh, blocks. I had many past life traumas that had to be relieved. I wasn't aware of. And so I had my pathfinders put in my way, particularly on the ocean voyages and all the places visited. 
And in clearing me, they showed me how I could do it as well. And then I was able to help others. And now I'm helping people. So it's an ongoing... Yeah, and I love how you were open to all of that from the beginning, from such a young age. In fact, in in discussing a relationship with your first, not the hotel chambermaid, but the young lady that you fell in love with, her dad was a corporate person, and you snuck into her house at night, and she she helped you, and and you realized um, what you shouldn't concentrate on, what you don't want, but what you do want. So I'm. I'm amazed that you had that sensitivity and that foresight to understand all that at such a young age because you were about 16 or 17 then? Yes. Uh, I was 15 going on 16 and I was coming out of the period uh, because during my childhood I was uh, mentally and emotionally abused uh, by my father. And that as any form of abuse, it wasn't physical, but my esteem was lowered to a very bad point. And so I was just starting at that point to restore my self-esteem, my feeling of self-worth. I felt I was worthless. I felt I was ugly. I felt I was unlovable. And the really important thing I have to teach so many people is before they can love, they have to learn to love themselves. And in the process of getting there, you're only free when you have truly forgiven from your heart the person or persons who've abused you. Which that didn't occur for you until you you decided to take um, a mated voyage towards the United States of America, right? That's correct. It, It took a long time, but forgiveness... There can be no healing without forgiveness. And it's one of the most difficult things to do. And I'm, I'm amazed, though, of all the good, everything that you, you know, aspired to, even though you haven't come to that complete forgiveness of your father prior to that point. Yes, it's true that, that, that people are, sometimes ask me, when was your revelation? When did you know you were meant to be a a shaman and it's a gradual process I found it was, it was a gradual process it's like peeling the skins off an onion Um, You, it's a step at a time and it doesn't mean you're not expanding your consciousness before you've totally forgiven but you're not completely free until uh, one has and it took me a number of years And each stage I thought I'd forgiven, but I hadn't. And I didn't know I hadn't really forgiven until I reached the final point and I was truly at peace, truly had inner peace. And the four steps are first you forgive. And by the way, the person, you don't have to see them. You don't have to talk to them face to face. They don't even have to be alive. But you, first of all, forgive them. And you think, oh, yes, I've forgiven them. And then you bless them. And then the really important thing was you thank them for what they did because we are all the sum of everything that has happened to us in our lives. And it's a truism, not an original one by any means, but a truism 
that it's not what happens to you in life that matters so much. It's how you respond to it. And the forgiveness of understanding and thanking him for what he'd done was I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't had to overcome what he did. In other words, that the steel was forged from the iron in the fire. And learning to overcome makes one strong. Turning weaknesses into strengths makes one strong, makes one grow. And gives great understanding of humanity and understanding others. And understanding how one must always be sensitive to other people's feelings. But the final stage that took some time, and I really thought I'd done it at least two years before this final stage, And I was in Italy, and on the boat, it was before crossing the Atlantic, not long before. And I was just resting on on the flybridge. And I just was thinking about it. It dropped on me that everything that had happened between me and my father, and he'd been dead five years by then. And I felt this great love well up in my heart, and I sent him love from my heart and love is the most ultimate is the ultimate most powerful energy for positivity in the universe true love and it has to come from the heart that spirit from the angels they don't really hear what we say they hear what we feel in our hearts and i had an example i was uh, I was I was healing someone on a minor thing, uh, really, uh, once. They had a bad headache, and I just put my hand in their aura, and I said out loud what I, I, I wanted to say. And the person said afterwards, my headache went as soon as you started talking, long before you'd finished. I said, yes, I talk, partly to make sure I keep my own mind on track, but mainly so you hear what I'm saying. But the, but the headache went because it came from my heart that right. was heard instantly. So it's no good just mouthing words and thinking about the shopping list. You have to feel things from your heart. That's, you know, that's amazing because today I spent all day in between appointments taking people here and there reading your book because um, you and I talked this past week to make sure that this would go off without a hitch and, and, and you were adamant that I read your book. You kept pushing, you need to read my book. So I purchased your book and I read it and I have been giddy like a schoolgirl all afternoon reading this book it's amazing there were some parts like I felt like I was on a journey on the sea with you at at some point and everything and I got a good world history report again of world war ii you reminded me of my history class right but the lessons were stuck in there in the story you had to search them out and it kept me going and I thought you were such a player when you were young too (laughs) you know what I mean by that yeah. Well, the thing that what was that uh, uh, the whole point is, and the reason for telling it in that form, and it, that's why it's a long book because I've had a long life and I, I'm, I'm very fit for my age, and I know I've got many years of work yet to do. But it's 
uh, one has to hear the whole story to understand the person, to understand the lessons. And for 60%, the Washington Post did a survey uh, several years ago that uh, found that 60% of all people, not just in the United States, wanted to change their lives, be it their way of work or their life in some way, mm-hmm. but actually didn't know how to do it. And really, the, the key lessons in this book of, of becoming what you want to be and that it's within yourself. And to share that, to show people anything is possible. The power of positive thinking is immense. I don't know how familiar you are with kinesiology. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with kinesiology, where you do arm testing for yes and no. Well, a very simple thing that always blows people away when I do it, when I see people face to face, I talk to them about positive thinking and the power of positive thought and the extreme negativity of a negative thought. And I ask them, first of all, I ask them which is their strong arm, And then I asked them to hold that arm out and just keep their minds blank, be totally neutral. And I test their strength in neutral, see how strong they are naturally. And I tell them to resist the pressure I'm going to put with my hand on their wrist to push the arm down. So so, uh, therefore, I know what their neutral strength is. I then ask them, I don't want you to tell me, but think the most negative thought you can you can think of. We'll do that again, resist me. And they have no strength in their arm at all. I then ask them not to tell me what the most positive thought is that they can have. And we test again, and their arm is locked. I, you know, I'm a six foot two, and I'm, I am very strong. I cannot push that arm down. And that shows them, it blows the, everybody away. It shows them the power of thought and that one cannot afford one negative thought it doesn't just lower your immune system it lowers your physical strength however we live in a real world so anyone who who lives in a real world is bound to come across negativity someone's nasty to you or or says something bitchy to you or something like that so uh, we are human we're in human bodies so we well we don't like that but the thing to do is straight away to have a little library of really positive thoughts in your mind and think that. And it's negated. It's more than negated. One positive thought negates 85,000 negative thoughts. And that wow. isn't making it up. There is a book uh, called Power Versus Force, which is extremely interesting, which actually quantifies the power of thought. And so it's a figure I extracted from that book. And it's true. And it is amazing that it keeps you healthy, it keeps you young. Uh, So much illness is caused by one's own negative thoughts. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. I'll tell you, I read the book this afternoon and I, I've been giddy all afternoon just from reading it. You know, I want to discuss, we were discussing about your negative experience with, um, 
with your um, father, Carly, who came into your life and, and you guys traveled around on that beautiful boat together, um, she experienced negativity from her own mother. Isn't that the dichotomy there? You had it with your uh, the the father. Your mother was beautiful to you, and she experienced it with her own mother. Yes, and she dearly loved her father, who died when she was eleven, and her mother wouldn't let her go to the funeral. Wouldn't I let know. her mourn him. And uh, when Carly met me, because she swore at that point or vowed, I should say, not swore, she would never cry again. And she didn't until she met me. And then I taught her how to cry. Wow. It, I mean, it's just incredible. Not but being a nasty to her, of course, but by actually taking her back to that time and uh, and talking her through mourning him as if she was the 11-year-old child. That was be- that's beautiful. I just I found the I just found it very interesting that you how you two connected and how how similar you know your young adult you know your young childhood was almost like I mean yours is a little different but I mean the fact that the abuse the mental abuse was there and she had some physical abuse too as well right she had seriously bad physical abuse uh, as a child and into later life. Yes, until she learned to say no. And this is one of the points that comes out. After this whole trail of abuse, she used what she had to earn her own living in an honest way. And she got married. And the man she married, as so often is the case, I've heard from so many women how they meet someone, they meet a man, and until they they get married, he suddenly changes and becomes a controller and abuser. And he was turned out to be quite violent and abused her physically. And he said he would kill her if she ever left him. And she knew he would. And in the end, she decided she'd rather be dead than to carry on doing that. She knew if she just left him and fled, that he would pursue her. And she didn't want that. So she made all her arrangements to leave and then faced him in the house and said, I'm leaving you. I'm divorcing you. If you're going to kill me, kill me now. That's when she said no and meant it. And, you know, it broke his power. He did nothing. He didn't hurt her. He had hurt her in the past. He didn't pursue her. But she had learned to say no. And when... When I have taught others to say no, there was recently a case of a woman who was being bullied in her job. And a very spiritual woman. And I taught her to say no. And how she must face her boss, a bully. Because all bullies are cowards. When you actually stand up to them, they back down. And she said no and meant it. Now, the interesting thing is, once she had learned to say no, she said no to everything else and changed her personal life as well. And Carly was the same. Once she said no, she never attracted in abuse again. As long as the abused person allows themselves to be abused, 
they will continue to attract in abuse. Once you said no, and it comes down exactly, I wholeheartedly believe, with your statement in your radio show, higher vibration. Everything is vibration. Everything. And we put out a vibration, a tone. You know, color is a vibration. And energy is a vibration. And if you put out the vibration of having said no and meaning it from the heart, no one will abuse you again. I, I loved it. I loved when you met Carly's mom for the first time and the only time actually, right? Yes. <laughs> I loved what she said to you. Like, you know, she's a prostitute and, and you go, yeah, and you pimped her out. I love that response that you gave to her. Yes. I said, and you, and you were her pimp. Right. I mean, beautiful. Well said. You, I, I love that. Yes, that was right. And, but it was a case where, um, when I met Carly, she'd been celibate for 10 years and she'd lived on her own and had, um, she, she had gone quite a long way ahead of me on the spiritual path and she'd read so many spiritual books and she could heal. And, uh, yes, and it was meant to be that in perfect time that she and I met, and that was it. Um, and we both knew instantly. I think, it, I think it was beautiful. I mean, I loved her energy. I felt like I knew her from reading through your words, what she went through. So was she about 40 years old when she, or was she younger when she was reaching into her spirituality and reading all these books and, and that 10 years? So what, about what age was she? Well, she was 41 when she and I met and I okay. was 52 and uh, she, yeah, she'd been into her spiritual books for 10 years. I got you. And, uh, doing healing. Uh, she, she had natural healing ability. And, um, uh, so when we were uh, running our business together, uh, the, uh, I used to leave the spirituality to, to her and, and she'd say, no, you don't, you don't realize what you are meant to be. And she could see it straight away. And so she brought me up to speed. And then that was over the period of time. Um, that to the point where it was lift off for me in terms of understanding my destiny and uh, really, and then the huge steps forward happened on the, on the voyage in the boat, being stuck in the Azores for five months with bad weather. And that was meant to be. There was work that had to be done there, including soul retrieval. In other words, retrieving a soul. And there's a whole chapter in the book about that. Yes, there is. I think that's about chapter 11 or 12 that that where you guys were stuck out on this little island. Yes. 
and you were helping this poor soul. What, what happened exactly to that that person? I know that was, you said tragic accident. It was an accident or murder? It was murder. It was murder. What had happened? It was really strange that uh, we hadn't meant to, uh, apart from a refueling stop, to stop at the Azores. Only meant to be there for two days, and it ended up five months. Right. Because the weather was so bad. And on arrival at the Azores, the island of Horta, which is like a stagecoach station between the USA and Europe for uh, yachts crossing the Atlantic uh, both ways. And we were greeted by an American who was married to a Swiss lady who who lived there. They'd chosen to live there. And they had a daughter who was at university in the USA. And on docking at the Azores, he made a strange comment when he met Carly and I. He said, the islands have been expecting you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And despite the weather, we were determined to press on for Bermuda and set sail. And after two days, we had to turn back. We, it was horrendous. You saw something on the on the radar screen that freaked you guys kind of out, right? Yes, they were. Um, and it wasn't just us because we had two paid crew. Right. Uh, for watch keeping. And I went on watch and he was looking a bit ashen faced. He was a very experienced person, a yacht master and so on. And he said something very strange happened. And I said, what was that? And bear in mind, we had two separate systems of radar in case one broke down. Mm -hmm. And he said, we've been followed by six UFOs. And I looked at him and it didn't surprise me because I know such things exist. The fact that there are loads of hoaxes and mistaken identity doesn't invalidate the fact that there are some. Right. And, okay, I'll keep careful watch. Well, I would anyway. And lo and behold, an hour into my watch, they appeared again. And then I I went to sleep and another guy came on watch. And I woke up and said to Carly, we must turn round. I don't feel good. In other words, my practical intuitiveness was saying, turn back. Wow. And this was near the Bermuda Triangle area, right? Yes, we were heading into that. Um, and so turn back. It took three days to get out as far as we had, and two days to get back because the wind and everything was against, was pushing us in the right direction. And arrived back in the Azores. And it was there that this amazing experience happened. Bearing in mind that uh, already got to the point of understanding the uh, release of trapped souls. When people dry, uh, uh, die traumatically, they often don't know they're dead. Uh, and they get stuck. Because you have to go over quite, you know, you, you mustn't stay for too long. 
but traumatic death can result in a soul being trapped and what we people might call a ghost or a spirit uh, walking the earth but they don't want to be like that and it turned out that this couple who ran the business you know the american guy and the swiss lady that they had a daughter who had come home for christmas from her university in america she was about 19 and she offered to give the inside of the boat a thorough spring clean and she wanted some pocket money and we were happy for her to do it so she and her mother came to the boat to have a chat now there was there much more to it it was meant to be again that the daughter's best friend on the island a year before had been murdered by a stalker and it had affected the whole island badly big or small islands something awful like that happening so she died violently and horribly and the daughter knew her soul she could communicate with her friend and she was trapped and so i asked do you want this that this can be cleared do you want it to be so we so we went through a process by which because there was a double whammy here that when people are violently abused even if they live through it very often a part of their soul leaves because that part of the soul cannot take what's going on so many people have part of their souls missing but that can be retrieved and that's one of the jobs that a shaman does is able to uh, to bring back that part of the soul and make someone whole how do you do that Uh, Do it by affirmation and by tuning in and acting as a manifester, really. That that a shaman has no power. They are a facilitator of energy. If you like, a middleman. I got you. So you're communicating with spirit and they go into the dark place where that person's soul is to help bring them out? Yes. And so because the other side cannot intervene, that's one of the, uh, if I can go back to my uh, grandfather, he was um, an intensely a good man. And indeed, the minister of his church when he died at his funeral said he was the most Christian man he'd ever met. My grandfather went through the Battle of the Somme, the most awful battle of World War I. Um, and there were 600,000 casualties in a week. He, he lay in the mud for three days, be- believing he was blind. In fact, he'd had one eye shot out and the blood had run into the other eye. And when the British troops were advancing through mud and barbed wire and it was 19th century tactics being used with modern weapons and the Germans had machine guns 
the bloodshed was so awful that when the British retreated, the Germans stopped firing. And there was an unspoken ceasefire to give time for the wounded and dead to be retrieved. My grandfather lay in the mud for three days before being picked up. And he always maintained, and and sadly he missed the point, that he couldn't believe in a God that would let that happen. But God hadn't done it. Right. Man had. Right. We have freedom of choice on the planet. And this is the point, really, that, uh, that, that God and the angels cannot intervene, that the angels are there wanting to help the human race all the time, but they have to be asked. They're not allowed to interfere. And this is another thing we, that uh, I teach people and say, look, uh, uh, this is your guardian angel. They can be everywhere at the same time. Uh, my particular guardian angel is Archangel Michael. But I have to talk to him. I have to ask him. The angels are crying out to help us. We only have to ask. And the same with God or spirit. And the reason I use spirit in the book and not God, though I personally use God as my word, is it's it's meant to reach everybody. And I did a lot of research. What was the, the, the word that that wouldn't switch people off? As long as one believes in an ultimate energy, an ultimate spirit, like the Native Americans speak of the creator. And it, it's, so the book is written to get the points across but appeal to all religions. And you had you had a miracle happen to you. Oh, uh, sorry. I, yes, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you you experienced a miracle right at the beginning of your journey that you partake in with Carly uh, on your boat. Where Carly, you get to your de- uh, Gibraltar. I guess that's how you say that. That uh, the Gibraltar. country. Uh, Gibraltar. Right. And, and you, ex- you guys, you just get there and then you have an experience with something similar to, you know, to your grandfather being three days in the mud. What happened to you guys? Right. What happened there was what I would call my wake up call. We got that far. We'd sold up. We'd worked hard all our lives. We'd found happiness. And my feeling in my heart, I never said it, but that was in my heart, was I'd really like a rest for a while in the Mediterranean instead of going on and doing what I meant to do. And boy, did I get a wake-up call. What happened? We were a few days into Gibraltar and Carly collapsed. We'd arrived, wonderful, the crew had been sent home. She collapsed. Now, everything was meant to be. There was on the dock was a young uh, Dutchman who had a a degree in first aid. I shouted for help. He jumped aboard and the Gibraltar hospital could be seen from the dock. And uh, Carly was got to the hospital and uh, she'd had heart failure. 
that's different from a heart attack. Right. That anyone can get heart failure, a young child can get heart failure. It's a fibrillation, it's a rapid that the pulse goes out of control and the heart goes like a jelly and to sort of 200 plus uh, per minute and more and then the heart stops. And uh, it was, uh, Carly was got to the hospital and I was told there was no hope. I'm not a Roman Catholic, but Gibraltar being, even though it's owned by Britain, it is really part of Spain and there's an ongoing dispute between Spain and Britain as to who should have it. And Britain holds on to it because it's a strategic uh, position that uh, controls the entrance to the Mediterranean. And, but most of the people and the staff in the hospital were Spanish. And I was asked if I wanted an Anglican priest, uh, because I was an Anglican, a Christian, but, um, um, but an Anglican and, and the Anglican minister was not available. Or would I like to see a Roman Catholic uh, priest? And I said, well, it's all one God. Within four minutes, the Roman Catholic priest was there. And I was absolutely distraught. Beside myself and asking him to do something. And he just put his hand on my head. And he was a young man, actually and came from the Indian subcontinent, very gentle. And he said, entrust in God. And I said, yes, but what do I do? Entrust in God. Do you entrust in God? And I said, yes, I do. And I felt like I was covered in a beautiful golden soft blanket. And I was calm. And then, because they were saying there was no hope, um, he came into the intensive care uh, unit with me where Carly was unconscious. And I pleaded with the staff. I said, please try something. And they got a French surgeon out of bed, a woman who was a specialist, who was able to do something that was incredibly risky. They didn't have time to move her to an operating theater. It was done in intensive care. And all the nurses had their rosaries out. They pulled their crucifixed rosaries out from under the uniforms and were praying. And um, I knew that Carly could understand, could hear me. And the priest said, I, would, I can give her absolution, but she, she must agree to it. But I feel that you can communicate with her. And I did, and I knew, and, and I said, yes, she would like absolution. And he gave her absolution, and she, she suddenly relaxed. Anyway, the French surgeon turned up, and um, she did this very dangerous surgery. Uh, it was an all-or-nothing last chance. She came out afterwards to see me, and... Her green overalls are covered in blood. She just removed her, her, her uh, rubber gloves and took my hands and said, look, there's very little hope. 
We'll leave for an intensive care for three days and then you've got a difficult decision to make. I said, can I see her? And she said, no, you can't. They're doing the work on her that you, you won't see. And so I went down. They had a Roman Catholic chapel in the basement. I went down there and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I promised God that if Carly could be given back to me, I would do everything and more than what I was supposed to do with her. Anyway, I was told I could see her because uh, it was the early hours of the morning. So I was there the whole morning and I was on my own the whole time. And then I came upstairs. I was told I wouldn't be able to see her for a day or so. And the surgeon came out and she said, I can't believe it. They're removing the intensive care equipment. But she tore the tube out herself. So they're having to get the liquid out of her lungs. And I said, what? And she said, well, it shows she's strong. Mm -hmm. Uh And... Uh, then she was moved to a, another hospital, which was the leading cardiology hospital in, in Spain. She had uh, a defibrillator put in. She was four weeks in intensive care, came out. Fantastic. The Roman Catholic priest came to see us on the boat in Gibraltar afterwards and said it was his first miracle. I love I that. Love that. <laughs> and the fact is, as the measure, that Carly then... We, we, we traveled right through the Med down to Italy on the boat, just the two of us, no crew, and explored it and then crossed the Atlantic and uh, spent the time in America and then returned to the UK and went on all those journeys. That was my wake up call. And uh, one finds with spirit, God, that if we're on a, a something we agreed to do before we were born, a pre-soul agreement, which most of us are, we have an agreement. And in some cases, when it's a particularly big job and one has had many past lives, which I have had, very many past lives, I came to do something. And if you don't do it or delay, first you're given a light tap on the hand and then a pat on the wrist and then a punch in the kidneys, and the whole darn brick wall falls on your head. Well, the whole brick wall fell on my head in Gibraltar. And that was my real turning point and uh, unshakable faith. So, so you know, hold on just hold a second. I'm having repeat here. I'm going to have to – I don't know how to do this, but I, I hear feedback. Do you hear anybody hear f- feedback from me? You're fine at my end. It's okay now. Okay, thank you. I was having feedback. Crazy. Like spirit was coming through and sharing some feedback. Like it had to be echoed twice, right? <laughs> Crazy. So, um, so you, you stayed there in, in that part of, of Spain for a while. Actually, you left Gibraltar and went further north of that yeah. area? Just went across the way, really, to, to mainland Spain to um on the costa del sol and we spent time obviously a lot of recuperation gaining strength 
But the, but the turning point of the gain in strength was we took the boat out and a whole load of dolphins came all around the boat. And when the, uh, uh, dolphins tend to approach humans when they're needed and they did healing and Polly did an amazing physical recovery very quickly. And oh, I love that. You talk about dolphins throughout your whole book. Yes, uh, dolphins, they've always played a very big part in my life. And then the most amazing creatures, absolutely amazing creatures. They're, they, they have healing ability, which has been well documented on autistic children and so many examples where they are here to help the human race. They're so advanced. They have a different form of intelligence from us, but uh, that they are in a different way, more intelligent, really. So uh, I want to go back. I, 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 I want to I want to talk more about Carly and what happened after you visit America and then came back and you, and you guys ended up in, in Commonwealth, right? That's where you decided to go from Fort Lauderdale or Miami. Yes, we, we went uh, north. Uh, to North Palm Beach and then up to Jackson, you know, and it was, we had a great time in the States. We really liked it. Well, yeah, Florida is awesome because that's where I live and it's totally amazing. And I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about your, before you got into meeting Carly and all this stuff and you, how all these little things came at you at different times in your life um, from from losing your first love to um, throwing yourself into your career and then having those experiences where people that you met along the way told you that you had this special gift and this ability in your life. Uh, yes. Uh, one of the leading ones was a medical doctor in America, uh, a woman who was very psychic. And she had uh, been a straightforward medical doctor for many years and had been head of her speciality in a major American hospital. And indeed, her husband's a medical doctor as well. And then she realized that when a patient walked into her consulting room, she could see everything that was wrong with them. Obviously, some people need surgery. Um, and I'm a great believer in a fusion between spiritual and orthodox medicine, because spiritual healing can't mend a broken arm, using a, a trivial example. Mm-hmm. And there are many illnesses that orthodox medicine cannot heal because the problem comes from a spiritual problem. And if the spiritual problem isn't solved, then there can be no uh, physical mending of what's wrong with the body. So you need both. And she, and there are others like her in America particularly, she does truly holistic healing and she was put in my path and indeed uh, both Carly and I together and had a consultation, never met her, it was all over the phone and it was on a professional basis and she saw straight away there were huge past life issues 
that needed healing that had been carried forward to the, the present lifetime and were affecting, uh, were, were blocking, were affecting things mentally, spiritually, physically. And we had a number of sessions and she called in angels and we had to work with her. And the interesting thing was, she said for the first time ever, she had been told to heal two people together. Uh, uh, Carly and me. Mm-hmm. In that she saw us as having one heart. And that, that is incredible. And that's what she'd been told. And so it was very much... Uh, a past life situation. It was done over a period of time because these releases actually change the cellular sentient beings in your body. Our body is made up of trillions of cells, but each has consciousness and they have memory. And this is where it's so important to, for the brain to be positive and tell the subconscious positive things. I love my body. If I don't like my body, don't say I don't like you. You love your body. And the cellular sentient beings respond. So these past life traumas get carried forward in the form of soul scarring or a a, a damage that then manifests itself in the cellular sentient beings. And so there has to be a release. And when that happens, the cellular sentient beings change. So after each session, we were told there were three or four clearances we had to do it after each session. And then there was 21 days where um, we had to, to do certain things. We had to be nice to ourselves every day, get lots of sleep. Uh, and if we had negative or and nasty thoughts in our head with the release going on, we had to say 12 times, I give permission to let this go. And it took 21 days for the releases to take place. And then being gluttons for punishment, we went back for another session. <laughs> until, <laughs> until she said, right, you're clear. You're now clear to, to, to meet your destiny. I love that. And so was she here in America, in Florida, that you met up with her? No. Uh, uh, well, uh, we were in Florida, but she operated, I can't remember which state it was now, but it was, uh, it was one of the Midwest states. So it was all done over the phone. I see. And then it's a long story as to how we were guided to get in touch with her. Um but but that's how it happens, that spirit puts things together in perfect time. And um, But the key is to recognize it, because one of the things, and I wish I had a dollar or a pound using the British currency <laughs> as well, but every time I've said to people in my business career and my spiritual work, when... Every time someone said, when you say, look, you're at a crossroads, because through life we meet a number of crossroads. We have the path we're on with all our comfort zones, our paradigms, what we're used to. Some people even get used to being abused. That's part of their comfort zone. 
until they say no. And then there's a new path opens up to them, an opportunity which involves change. But as human beings, we're programmed to dislike change. Right. I've actually met a few people who absolutely love change, but generally people dislike change. It means perhaps a change of your comfort zones, perhaps a change in your paradigms, a change in relationships, all sorts of things that are scary. It appears unknown. And the number of times in business and on the spiritual side, the person has said to me, well, I'm not ready to make change. I think I'll stay as I am. And I've always said, but do you realize you've just made a decision that has consequences? No, I haven't. Yes, you have. You've decided to stay as you are. Will you do one thing? Well, what should I do? I say, it's not for me to tell you what you should do because you have personal choice. What I can do is guide you how to make the decision that you might feel most comfortable with when you look back. Get a large sheet of paper and put the two things you're looking at. Sometimes it's more complicated. There's more than one new path, but I'll keep it simple and say there's a new path and the current path. Take the current path first and actually list the consequences of you staying on it. The positives and the negatives. Everything has positives and negatives and challenges. And then this new path, do the same. Write that down. Then you'll see that staying as you are has consequences. Do you want those consequences compared with the others? And it's sad to say the majority of people I've come across actually end up not making the change. But they have made a decision. And that is one of the most important things I had to learn. And one of the most important lessons I have to teach people because opportunities are put in our way. But we have to, to take those opportunities. And to make those opportunities manifest in what we want means hard work and determination. And also, uh, just to take probably my, my greatest weakness, because I was overcoming my greatest weakness, which gave me the great strength, was in overcoming other weaknesses. I was incredibly shy when I was young because of my low self-esteem. And I liked being in the back room, really. And then... When I had the opportunity to become chief executive of the first company I was offered that job, I knew I had to develop skills that I didn't have. And one of them was public speaking. Well, I nearly died of fright at the very thought of it. And I was the sort of person at a dinner party who'd sit there and say very little. And that was in a group of people that I knew. That I knew. Well, I worked hard at it and went on courses and overcame at that um, uh, difficulty and uh, became, that was part of the success in my job. I developed leadership abilities, motivational, inspirational abilities, and the ability to, uh, to impart vision to other people. And that was from my greatest weakness. So one of the things, if one is looking at changing one's life, is look realistically don't be blocked by something that you view as a weakness in yourself. 
Are you prepared to overcome that weakness? Are there skills you need for what you'd really like to do that you don't now exist, that, that you don't now have? Well, is there a plan that's realistic as to how you could acquire those skills? To move from A to B, you need to look at the practical financial aspects. But, but put a plan together. It's always possible. And But don't let blocks, like people saying I was crazy in my 60s to cross the Atlantic in a, a relatively small boat. And I was determined to do it. I acquired the skills and did it. And I incidentally think it was a lot safer than driving down the highway. At least you can only kill yourself at sea by lack of preparation. Right. And, uh, someone can hit your head on on a freeway and... <laughs> It wasn't your fault. So I don't view it as dangerous, but equally um, that everything has risk in life. And it's I don't think 55 foot is small, in my opinion. <laughs> 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 I, we had a 36 foot with output. You had inboard motors, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yes. you had Cummings to boot on top of that, which is really expensive engines. Yes, but the thing is, Crossing an ocean is very different from anything else. Taking the leg from uh, the Cape Verde Islands to Antigua was 2,200 nautical miles nonstop and way out of sight of anything for two weeks. Wow. So you, so you need range, and it was constructed strongly enough to withstand a hurricane. Now, you can't say the same for the crew. With a good, well-found ocean-going boat, the crew will give up long before the boat does. <laughs> I can see that. That's scary. Yeah. Talk about facing your ultimate fears is riding through a hurricane in a, in a 55-foot boat. Yeah. Fortunately, we never hit a hurricane, but we did hit some pretty bad seas. Well, I'm sure you you experienced squalls out there, right? Uh, more than schools, they were huge seas at times, um, and uh, uh, everyone got seasick. All the experienced sailors, but someone said, "Well, no, how do you avoid seasickness doing an ocean crossing?" I say, "Sit under an oak tree." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might be struck by lightning. So who knows what's going to happen? Ah, uh, too funny, too funny. Sit underneath an oak tree. Good one. <laughs> I love it. So how do we recognize that we have mental blocks? Well, if you want to do things and you find you can't do it, um, that the thing is to meditate and look within oneself. And there are so many books on meditation and so many techniques that can be used. You have to find what suits you, really. But to clear your mind, clear your mind of thought and just look within oneself. All the answers, this is one of the messages in the book, people can't do it for you. All the answers lie within yourself. It's a matter of uh, really just seeing how one person did it. it. It doesn't mean that other people will have the same challenges. But just taking the issue of overcoming abuse the principles are the same wherever it comes from. And a hugely high proportion of people suffer abuse at some time in their lives. Yes, that is so true. So 
Carly is no longer with us. Correct. Well, she is, sort of. Yes. She's in you. Yes. But more than that, that is the end of the book, which is incredible. So that, that is why the book, the last chapter is, is called um, Omega and Alpha, the end and the beginning. It was a devastating end, or appeared to be, that, but again it was meant to be, that it wasn't just being a within, it was that there had always been, it was only explained at the end that the, what happened in Gibraltar was a reprieve for five years. But for the next step to be taken, something very unusual had to happen. Because in fact, Carly and me had aeons before been one soul. who had agreed as a very long-term situation to split and to occupy different bodies. We didn't always come on planet Earth at the same time. Sometimes we did. And uh, and sometimes came back and were with other souls. But this was the lifetime for those that split soul to rejoin. So after the death of Carly's body, there was a year of integration um, of a very complex integration. People who knew me well saw it, saw what had happened. And, but at the end of a year, I was truly whole that the two came together because so many of the lessons that had to be learned from the two halves needed to be experienced in different bodies and in different relationships and also relationships together. And exactly one year, exactly one year after Carly's body died and I became whole, I met my present wife, who's beside me now. Hi, Barb's. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's amazing. We knew each other um, instantly. We had had three. We've had many past lives together. The oldest we tracked is ninety thousand years ago prehistory but we had three lives together as Native Americans and interestingly from the age of 13 Barb's my my present wife had always wanted to live on a Native American reservation, uh, reservation even though she was born and brought up in what had been a British colony called Rhodesia which is now an independent state called Zimbabwe on the African subcontinent, but she's, she's a British citizen and um, uh, has lived in Britain for many years. To cut a long story short, 
thought we recognized each other from a photograph. And from the moment of meeting, we were married within five weeks, which is the minimum in Britain because they have to check you. I'm not already married or anything like that. But uh, Do you do blood tests over there too when you get married? No. No, you do not? Okay. No. So, um, no, you have to go and see uh, people within what they call the council so that they can check, see that uh, you have come from this province into that province. And there's nothing left behind and that you are a single entity, as it were, so that you can marry another entity within Cornwall. I see. Wait, do you know why they do blood tests over here in the USA? Why is that? So they so they they can check to see if you're kin to each other or not. And if you're not kin to each other, it's okay to get married. Oh what? yes, <laughs> yes, <And> that's interesting. <laughs> well, I suppose it prevents interbreeding. It does. Yes, it does. <laughs> No, that doesn't apply here, and there's much interbreeding. I uh, proposed to Barb's within uh, 48 hours of meeting, and she accepted me immediately. Aw, that's so beautiful. I accepted you both immediately, too. I love both of your energies. And I'm so glad that you decided to introduce us to Barb's, because we weren't going to talk about that, but I'm so glad that you did. Because she's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we are working together. Bob's is a shaman as well. And uh, it's it's just great. So, And we have a fundamental philosophy, which is to enjoy every day as if we know it's our last. Ah, oh, that's a beautiful philosophy to follow. All of us should do it because we don't know how much time we have left on this planet and when we're going to be going. So you better enjoy right now, right in this very moment. Everything is in the now. Yes. Because there's no concept of time on the other side. That That is so true. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard the news lately, but in Orlando, Florida, which is in the center of Florida, um, we had the, one of the deadliest shootings in history this past weekend. Uh, we did see a headline that 50 people had been murdered in a gay club in Orlando. Yes. 53 were injured, 50 were murdered. 130... Wow. 103 people took bullets that day. That's just... That's astounding. It, it leaves one speechless. But I know that something good is going to come out of all of this. It doesn't seem like now, but we have to be open to the goodness of what that act had happened. Yes, I can see that. Because as you know, in Britain, our police do not carry guns other than very specialized hit squads where someone is using a gun, but our police generally do not carry guns. Wow. So so everybody's on the good merit system there. Yes. Yeah, so you can go to prison for 10 years for just carrying a gun if you don't have a license. Wow. 
Here, guns are all over the place, but it, you should have a license to carry one here too, as well. So, what's so you guys are working together, and people can get in touch with you because I have a link right here next to your book title cover, and they can click on that link and go to your website. And if if they need help, they can reach out to you to get help, right? Yes, they can. But on the website, um, that there's uh, com. On the website, on the contact page, I can be reached by email. Okay. So they can reach you by email. Yes. And, and then you'll get back to them. Oh, yes. Everyone gets the reply. I love that, and and you guys don't charge for that. For con- they can contact you, express no. what's going on, and you help them. No, that uh, what uh, because if we can help, then we do. If we can't, uh, sometimes I guide people um, in a direction they for sh- someone they should talk to, or a book they should read, or something like that. But sometimes, um, where it's possible, then help is given. But uh, we're both retired, and this is a mission, and it's to help people as far as it's possible for us to help people. So we don't, we're not like people who charge X dollars an hour to do healing. We will help people if we can and guide them in the right direction. But um, we basically get, uh, if you like, income from the, uh, the book. And we're increasingly being encouraged, though we don't do it yet. So many people have asked us to do seminars or workshops. And obviously, we would charge an entry fee for that if we end up doing that. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, we're so busy just doing what we're doing. Well, I, I tell you what, the book is just amazing. I can't tell you guys, you can get it on, you know, on Amazon.com for your little Kindle or, it, you know, if you don't have a Kindle, you can do the cloud reader, which is what I did. Um, it, and you guys, you don't know how special you are for me to sit here at this computer all day long and read a book. Because I'm like, I don't like to do that. I'm on the go. I like books on tape, right? (laughs) And for me to sit there and read, but I was so engrossed in it. I mean, it just kept my attention. And I learned little lessons throughout the day that I wrote down here on my piece of paper, like how you knew law of attraction at the age of 17, um, what you said to, you know, um, to Carly's mother, uh, all these things I've written down, you know, I have my little notepads and I'm amazed how your philosophy of healing, um, especially because you came in contact with the young lady in France when you were there for 24 hours, how she called you, or maybe that wasn't, it was in New Zealand. I'm sorry. When you were in New Zealand, the lady called you a kahuna. Uh, Yes, she was a Maori woman and always remember um, that I was, this was an occasion where I wasn't quite ready to hear it, but because I was um, respected her greatly and she was very different because she was very spiritual. And I said, but I'm not of your people. 
And she said, that makes no difference. It's your soul. Well, and I love that your philosophy of how to deal with someone to forgive them is on the long of the lines of a hopuna puna. Have you heard of that? Hopuna puna? I guess I'm saying that right. I don't speak Hawaiian very well. <laughs> no, I don't, actually. I don't. Um, well, it's, this I've is not- their philosophy. It's a four-part series like what you did, but it says, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Very similar. Just a slightly different batting order. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and Kahuna, the big Kahuna, is one that goes out and and travels by surfboard all over the world. You know, going from different port to port, which is amazing that you were called that and then bought a, a boat and traveled all over the place. Mm. It is amazing, actually, how. One comes across people and having lived and worked in so many countries, uh, I've really learned that there are so many wonderful people in all countries that transcends race, religion and, and so much. And the, it, it is wonderful to know and from our experience of how many fantastic people there are out there. And there are um, there are a new breed of babies being born. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Doreen Virtue has a, a website that she talks of the rainbow children. And we find that the rainbow children are put in our way because rainbow children are born with memory. And need very special parents. And their parents are very special. They're very evolved people themselves. Or they wouldn't understand the rainbow children. And they only started being born quite recently. And they're telepathic. And they have memory. And uh, one lady we know. Who has a rainbow daughter. And we actually provide a lot of guidance. Because they're so different. Because... The child talks about her sisters in the galaxy. She has memory. And another one who said to her mother, which blew the mother away, and that's oh, it's normal. Um, that in this lifetime, she was the child, and her mother was the mother in a previous lifetime, been the other way around. Wouldn't it be nice if we were sisters in the next lifetime so we could be adults together. Now, that's a very unusual thing for a four-year-old child to say. Yes, it is. But they're very unusual children. So that's another area of help that we give. Well, I tell you, the parents of one of those children better be loving and understanding because they're going to need lots of love, unconditional love this lifetime. Yes, and they are telepathic, so you have to be careful what you're even thinking. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. All right. Well, tonight, 
Um, you guys have had the privilege and honor of listening to John Norseman. He was, he's an author of Journey of a Shaman. Um, I've got his website listed here. If you'd like to get in touch with him, you can go to the website, hit the contact page and send him an email. They would love to help. Barb's is just absolutely beautiful energy, although we didn't hear very much from her this evening. But thank you, Barb's, for coming on at the last bit. Thank you very much indeed, Raven. You're we beautiful. <laughs> very very beautiful woman there. So, uh, again, I want to encourage you guys to reach out. And if you haven't had a chance to get this book, do so because it's absolutely amazing. Plus, you get I got a history lesson. And it was almost like a romance novel at some point for me <laughs> in the beginning with the lessons. Do you understand what I'm saying? John, are you still there? Uh, yes, I beg your pardon. Uh, what specifically was your question? Oh, well, to me, it was, to me, in the beginning, like, it was like a, a kind of like a, 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 a romance novel, which I enjoyed. I, I never, you know, have read a, nor- a normal romance novel. I always read those real creepy, nasty ones, but yours was very interesting. So I, I loved it. And, and the fact that it had the spiritual, you know, the, the like the law of attraction right from the beginning is what I got from it. So not only is it a spiritual book, but it's very entertaining too. It kept me engrossed all day long is what I was trying to tell everybody. Yes. But the thing is, the reason I went into that was to show and several women who have given us feedback, having read the book said, uh, they said all the things they liked. And and then I said, what was the underlying thing you really enjoyed? And they said relationships. Because what it is, is a truthful story of relationships and the long-term affair I had during an unhappy marriage really taught me the lesson. You have to close one door before you open another. And I tried to keep two doors open and it ended up in a train smash. And The that is a lesson, and I learned that lesson. And you see from the rest of the book, I never did that again until I met the person I really would change my life for. Yes, I I noticed that. I mean, it it is a great book. It it was it kept me um, pinned to it all day long. I I read the fifteen or fourteen chapters all in one day today, in between everything else. So (laughs) I, I, I I'm telling everybody should read this book it it just and I was so giddy and excited to have you on the show tonight I mean my heart just exploded and I felt very lucky and blessed to have you on here tonight well thank you very much and I am equally honored because you have such a great site I've had a good look at it and very honored that you invited me to be on your show and I know we will be keeping touch into the future I know, because I know you two are going to be writing another book, so I'll have you both on at the same time talking about that new book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, who knows? (laughs) I 
I know that's going to happen. And you know what? My site is so beautiful because it's empowered by intuitalks.com. And I'm blessed to be a part of that organization. Beautiful people belong to there. And they go and listen to the shows. They may not have showed up here tonight, but they go listen to the archives and they're posted all over the Internet. And it's just beautiful energy here. Everybody that's here tonight is awesome and beautiful. That's wonderful. Including you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. And I, I can't wait to have you back on in the near future when, you know, you got to finish up that book that you're going to be writing, though. <laughs> I feel my arm being twisted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm twisting it because I want to read more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here for another edition of Raising Vibration Radio. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. And thank you guys for staying up so late. Yes, it's no. 3 a.m. here in the morning. So we're no going to sleep in in the morning. You yeah. have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Barbs. Bye, John. And I'll talk to you guys later. We look forward to it. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.